December 30th, 2016 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzitti. Thank you very much for joining us. As is our tradition, we're spending the holiday looking forward to 2017 and the issues we will likely be discussing around this very table throughout the year. To get things rolling, let's ask our panel, what's your one word or phrase that you think will best describe 2017? Pat home from Westward, start us off. It's pretty simple this time, uneasy because people are feeling very discombobulated. No one knows what's gonna happen next. No one is feeling particularly good about whatever it is that's gonna happen next. But the second part is, it is also not going to be easy. We're uneasy, but whatever's ahead is gonna to be tough, I think. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School, your one word or phrase for 2017. Whatever's ahead, there is a sure guide for what to do, and that is constitution. Uh, we've had too many years of imperial presidents unilaterally purporting to make the law and now I'm glad that my friends on the left are starting to see that might actually be a problem. We need to rein in the presidency and the entire federal government so that they do the things properly they should under the Constitution and don't intrude into areas for which they don't have any legitimate power. Be interesting if various articles of the Constitution yeah. also become uh, headlines in 2017. Eric Sondren, political analyst, your one word or phrase. I was attracted to Patty's sort of secondary word of uh, discombobulated. That's a good <laughs> word. I'm going with bipolar in the sense of this country continues to drift to its poles, to polarize, to the animosity continues to grow ever more intense, and in the sense that we hope there's some serious ups for this country and the world during the coming year. But I think you have to be prepared for some serious downs as well. Penfield Tate, attorney at QTech Rock, also a long-time state lawmaker, wrap it up for us. I, I take my inspiration from Shakespeare's Macbeth. By the pricking of my thumb, something wicked this way comes. Ooh, well, well done. We haven't had Shakespeare on the show for quite a while. Thank there you, you go. Ben. Well done. <laughs> 2017 will be the first year of the Donald J. Trump presidency, and the nominations to his cabinet have been rife with controversy, as has his ties to Russia. However, the stock market has responded well to his election, and some are hopeful for what a business-oriented mindset may do for job creation in the United States. Patty, we have talked about Donald Trump for a long time throughout 2016. We will certainly be talking about him a lot in 2017. What do you think might be some of the headlines we attribute to him next year? Well, it's fascinating with two of the other big terms that came up in 2016, rigged. I mean, this entire year was rigor-happy. Like, Colorado's election was rigged. The national election was rigged. Now the Russians are rigging everything. And the other one was fake news, where no one now knows if you hear that someone's rigging something, you don't know if it's true or if it's false, if it's made up, if it's not. We're going to see a lot of headlines where everyone is going to say, what? Do you believe it? Do you not believe it? First of all, the incredible, unbelievable involvement of Russia, which apparently is all too true. And that is going to, I think, lead the headlines, should lead the headlines, for weeks to come as we try to figure out exactly how bad that is, how we can shore up our defenses, how we can shore up our electronics. And then, of course, we are going to have the whole inaugural pageantry, the just the, the, the rumpacious pageantry of what's going on in Washington that's almost beyond belief. 
David, it, it, it strikes me odd that uh, the current flag bearer of the Grand Ole Party, the party of Reagan, uh, Ronald Reagan, who defeated the USSR, who uh, was a staunch enemy of communism, the current flag bearer, our uh, new president, will uh, it, right now is at the very least a supporter of Russia, the very same country. Uh, is that going to put Republicans at odds throughout 2017? Hopefully, uh, as, as checks on him. You know, and, and in the campaign, uh, in the primaries, he adopted the view of Code Pink, the, the wacko, malicious leftist nuts uh, who said that, that George Bush invented the Iraq war, you know, for personal business interest and stuff like that. Uh, you know, you can criticize the war, uh, but Trump became a truther, uh, in effect. Uh, so that, that's highly disturbing. It's not something that, that's new. I mean, uh, Secretary Clinton went after him quite hard on that exact issue in the presidential debates, as she should, and it was a, it was a big topic that was there. On, on, on the economy, I think Trump is going to have an easy time uh, getting credit as a job creator, because it's like if you say, oh, my, my foot was hurting, my, my feet have been killing me for months, and then I went to this podiatrist, and in five minutes, I felt so much better. And he, he's a wonderful doctor. Well, in fact, what did the podiatrist do? Well, the, the patient had shoes that were four sizes too small, and so he just took the shoes off. This economy has the government's foot on its throat with illegal Obama regulations that are crushing it and also causing energy prices to be higher than they would. Simply by the executive actions of getting rid of these guidances and dubious regulations, which is something that can be done in, in a matter of months, Trump will dramatically help the economy. Doesn't have to pass a single thing through Congress, but he can be economically successful just with that. Eric, I think David brings up an interesting point about the economy because, regardless of who's in the White House, uh, the economy is a cycle. I least remember that from my economics courses in college. And while uh, Colorado has been doing better than uh, many other states, uh, we haven't seen inflation for a long time around the United States. Uh, it's, it seems like we're overdue. Do you think that uh, President Trump will be dealing with that problem in 2017? Well, I think any president, uh, first and foremost, presides over the economy. Now, in saying that, there's a myth that presidents have more power to regulate the economy and regulate some natural economic cycles than is probably the case. But uh, I, I significantly, not totally, but significantly agree with David's point here. If Donald Trump, through policies, through tone, through deregulatory activity, and if there's a main theme to his cabinet appointments to date, it has been a, a real emphasis on deregulation, which is not all bad. Uh, if he can get this economy growing again at four, three or four percent, that solves a whole lot of other problems or gives a whole lot of other people hope and opportunity that don't have them. We have been in a relatively stagnant, low growth kind of economy ever since emerging from the, the, the Great Recession. Um, we have gotten used to 1% or 1.5% kind of growth and sort of worshiping at that altar, as opposed to the old days of much more significant economic growth. I think this is going broader. I think it's going to be a wild ride. Uh, I think there will be you know, all kinds of storylines to Donald Trump. I think the real ones I'm on the lookout for is if he has it within him, to reach out to people who are not naturally within his camp. 
Uh, yes, he's been flying around doing victory rallies. Yesterday was Hershey, Pennsylvania, or we're, we're you know we're taping this uh, ahead of time. But uh, to all of the, the, his core supporters, and that's all well and good. If he wants to do those victory rallies, fine. At some point, he has to go into blue America. He has to talk to some audiences that are very nervous about him. He has to provide some reassurance that he hears them, he respects them, he will listen to them in some way, that he will be their president as well. I do not know if constitutionally, internally, he has that within him. He has to also somehow figure out a way to put a lid on the tension that is boiling in this country. Um, and and, and there are hateful elements in this country that somehow have taken permission from Trump's victory, and he needs to rein those in, and that is his responsibility. Penn, the, the concept of the relations between Russia and Donald Trump, there's a lot to go with there, but does it become a foothold for Democrats looking for something to say, okay, if we're going to be the minority power uh, in Congress, what are we going to do with it? Does that become a foothold for them to glom onto? And ironically, I think a comment you made two weeks ago on the show, uh, you know, not wanting to sound like a cold warrior, uh, but uh, you know, looking at Russia as an enemy, not as a, uh, a great ally, do Democrats have a foothold there? You know, they do. Democrats, I think, have, have a number of footholds. When you look at this presidency, it's kind of ironic. Eric talked about his victory laps to Red America, basically. But the other thing he's doing is he's going to these places that are sort of hotbeds of discontent, um, blue-collar communities. And, and we've talked about this before. The irony of this election is he has nothing in common with these people who supported him. This guy, didn't ever, he never grew up having to work for a living. He came from wealth. And when you look at his cabinet, I mean, you've got a cabinet now that, if reports are accurate, their total combined wealth of those who have been identified is about $9.7 billion. They have a, a greater combined wealth than 43 million households, almost a third of the households in America combined. Oh, yeah, they're going to make sure the economy does well because it's in their best interest. They are, in many respects, the economy that has fueled this country for decades. And so they have a vested interest in the economy doing well. The issue is going to be whether this pr president honors his word and makes sure that prosperity is shared by working-class families. He's never done it before, not in his private business dealings or in any other effort that he's undertaken. So whether he'll have the conviction of, uh, of character to do it based on how he campaigned and ran is a whole nother question. The 2018 governor's race will begin in earnest in 2017. Some names being lobbied about right now now include George Brockler and Walker Stapleton on the, on the Republican side and Democrats Kerry Kennedy and Ken Salazar. Uh, David, since Ken Salazar is not going to be headed to D.C. anytime soon, we thought that if the election went differently, he would be uh, busier with different duties in 2017. Do you think he is the presumptive frontrunner at this point of the game? He is the presumptive frontrunner, but that doesn't mean he's necessarily got the advantage in, in the long term. It back in the uh, 94, I believe, Merrick may correct me on this, um, Dick Lamb was running for, had been a very successful state representative and then a three-term governor winning his third term in an enormous landslide where even his opponent said, you know, he's actually a good governor and Lamb reciprocated the compliment that he would be a good governor. So Lamb, Lamb was the, the king of Colorado politics. But then he leaves office and he was kind of out of it for 
several years, and then he comes back and runs in a Republican in the Democratic Senate primary. And, you know, thought everybody would know him and like him and he'd be famous, but, you know, all these immigrants come into the state and other people have shorter memories, and so all of his successes of the, the 70s and 80s didn't do him much good politically in the 90s, and he ended up losing the, the primary to uh, uh, Ben Nighthorse Campbell, who was a... Uh, U.S. representative, but only repre only known in one part of the state before the the thing began. Uh, so I don't think you can. I don't think Ken Salazar sh certainly shouldn't be complacent if he you know thinks that he can just have the the nomination uh, for the asking. Eric, let's take a look on the on the Republican side of things. You have George Brockler uh, headed into pr uh, presumably another death penalty case, um, one that he he got a guilty plea out of the Aurora case, but then did not get the death penalty. Is that going to uh, play into his potential gubernatorial plans later this year? I think it will. First of all, David is a master at trivia and always is coming up with stuff that we don't know about. Yeah. So it's not often I get to correct him. I will do so here. It was 1992 uh, as opposed to 94. Some internal okay. satisfaction there. Facial on me. I think the Republican, both parties are going to have vigorous primaries for governor. These nominations are not going to be easily handed out. There are people going to have to earn them. I think the Republican field likely will be smaller than the Democratic field. The big names are Walker Stapleton, state treasurer, George Brockler, Arapahoe County district attorney, up-and-comer, probably closer to some, not on the hard, hard right, but further right than Stapleton, who's a more establishment uh, kind of guy. I think Americans for Prosperity and some elements around them are gravitating more to Brockler. You have Steve House, who is the chairman of the Republican Party. I'm not sure I see that yet, but he is making noises about throwing his hat in the ring. You hear Cynthia Kaufman's name. I'm not a believer about that, but, you know, we will see. What the coming year is going to do, Dominic, it's not going to decide the governor's race. It's just going to set the stage. Uh, that's what 2017 is about. Democratic side, I think you have uh, the makings of really a historic primary here for the level of talent that is putting itself out there. Ken Salazar would clearly be the front runner, but I push back, as David did, on the notion that he would be presumptive. I think there's also a generational issue happening within the Democratic Party. Kerry Kennedy is a very attractive candidate. Let's not forget State Senator Mike Johnston, term limited, very attractive candidate, very compelling out on the stump. Noel Ginsburg is a philanthropist around town, civic leader, successful business person who is seriously looking at it. And the Bernie Sanders wing of this party will be heard from. There are two names being circulated there. One is Joe Salazar from Adams County. One is Mike Merrifield, famously for saying that anybody who believes in charter schools has a special place in hell. Merrifield is looking at this race as well. I'm not a believer that he's going very far, but uh, this will be a wild ride in both parties. Penn, uh, Democrats in Colorado uh, have usually done a very good job at not hurting themselves in a bruising primary. They have, get together, have a meeting, one person gets to go. They did it when Ken Zelzer ran, ran for uh, Senate. They've done it over the years and many times. Do you think they will have another coming of the mines probably late in 2017? Or are we in for a bruising primary with, as Eric mentioned, some pretty heavy hitters in the Democratic Party? Uh, I don't think there'll be a, a meeting of the mines. I think we're going to see a bruising 
primary on both sides of the aisle. Um, do not underestimate for a minute um, the ambitions in the General Assembly. When, when, when I first got elected, I remember <laughs> lobbyists telling me the thing they hated about Election Day is 100 legislators woke up in the mirror and saw the next president of the United States. Uh, <laughs> uh, so you will see grandstanding on a huge scale this legislative session. And you need to because if you, you really want to position yourself to run, the 2017 session is the, is the session you have to do it because 2018 you need to start looking gubernatorial. So you need to do some things to stand out and get your name out there. I think we're going to see a number of people on both sides of the aisle begin to posture, position, try to grandstand a little bit, bring attention to themselves to see if they can get some buzz generated. People saying, gee whiz, you're better than this person. You really ought to think about being governor. And so it begins, um, which also portends the General Assembly may not get a whole lot done this session also. Um, but no, I don't think anybody's a shoe and I don't think anybody's the presumptive nominee of anything. I think it's wide open. And I think this election cycle sort of set it in motion because of the Trump element and the Sanders element in, in play here. Patty, there's a, some potential first, at least on the Democratic side of the aisle. We could have uh, uh, at least a candidate, our first uh, Latino governor in Ken Salazar, our first woman as governor in Kerry Kennedy. Uh, do you see any of them carrying the day, or at least in a prime front-runner position by the time we are talking about this next year? Well, I think Ken Salazar needs to decide soon and announce soon if he's going to run. Because, first of all, everybody's exhausted right now. The Democrats are exhausted. It would be really nice for them to be able to say, we've got time to rebuild and kind of set things in motion before we have that bruising fight. Ken Salazar has been work, was working on Hillary Clinton's transition for a long time. A lot of people thought they were going to Washington. It's really thrown the party here in upheaval. And apparently Trump does think Colorado's rigged enough that he hasn't lured anyone from this state yet to be part of his cabinet. So I think, I do think Ken Salazar is in a good position if he wants to run, but he's got to decide soon. Remember when Ritter was running, there was some move to have people go against him, but even Hickenlooper backed off then. You know, people do sometimes think it's their turn, especially if they can win, and I think Ken Salazar could win here. The 2017 legislative session will see the same majorities as last year, but new leadership positions, including Crisanta Duran, Colorado's first Latina Speaker of the House. Among some of the expected issues the legislature will tackle are a state budget that includes funding for affordable housing and new marijuana use regulations. Eric, how do you see the new leadership, leadership uh, uh, folks changing what we might see out of the legislature? I think Crisanta Duran is a very different person than Dickie Lee Hullinghorst. She has a slightly bigger majority, but more than that, she represents West Denver as opposed to liberal Boulder. It's a different background, it's a different constituency, it's a different mindset. The real issue, your question is framed around the second floor of the Capitol, the legislature, and uh, you know that does not look a whole lot different. Yes, different leadership, but not a whole lot different than it has for the last two years, uh, split control of the two houses. My question, Dominic, is about the first floor of the Capitol, the governor's office, and what John Hickenlooper in the last two years of his term, what is his agenda? And I really haven't seen that yet. I think he was, you know, halfway out the door hoping for an appointment in Washington, speaking of transitions and Hillary Clinton and all the rest. We saw when he was mayor of Denver in that second term, there's some ADD that sets in, and he set his sights on, on being governor. He, I think he was having his sights to moving on from here. That is not happening by all expectations. He will complete his term. So the question is, and I think it is incumbent on him, 
to sort of set to make it clear before too long what does he want to accomplish here? Is it about roads? Is it about fiscal reform? Uh, what is the Hickenlooper agenda for 2017 and 2018? Penn, you have a lot of experience over the Capitol. You know a lot of the players that are there right now. Do you think new leadership will change up the traditional logjam we see from a split legislature? No, because in, in many ways the new leadership ha is a little more polarized mm -hmm. than um, the prior session. Um, in, in, if you look at Republican leadership in the House and the Senate, um, and, and align it up sort of with Democratic leadership in the House and the Senate, uh, in part because of sort of the Trump victory and the Trump message and sort of the Sanders element in the Democratic Party. I actually think the caucuses have moved further away from one another than they were two years ago. And to Eric's point about the first floor, um, I could well be proven wrong, but I'm not convinced that the governor's legislative agenda matters anymore. Um, I, you know, he, he. everybody talked about the fact that if Hillary won, he was going to take a cabinet post. Donna Lynn made it clear that she was lieutenant governor, but she had no interest in running for governor. And so there was already the beginnings of a void. Now you have a Governor Hickenlooper who's still here, who's not in the cabinet office, but he's termed out. He's essentially begun lame duck status now. And so I'm not convinced that whatever um, legislative agenda he has is, is going to carry much weight, particularly given the strong divide between um, the, the, the various caucuses. Uh, and, you know, I said this before, I hope I'm wrong, but I wouldn't anticipate any major legislation being accomplished except the budget, because constitutionally we have to pass a budget. Patty, let's start there. Do you think we're going to see much out of the split legislature, even though we have different leadership positions? I can't get over how much sameness there's going to be in the discussions. We're going to hear about construction defects. We're going to hear about the hospital advisory fee. We're going to hear about so many of these things that we've talked about over and over and over. I do think that Hickenlooper has kind of to set, you can see where he might be going with some of his last two years, and it's returning to some of the do-gooder Hickenlooper things he used to do. The fact that he came out with the plan to use some of this pot tax to do affordable housing gets back to his Denver's Road home, which has not been a raging success, but is certainly an issue that is critical across Colorado, that Colorado has to deal with it. And I wouldn't be surprised if we actually see a very uh, socially involved agenda. That doesn't mean that any of it will get through the legislature. David, Rocky Mountain Gun Owners has uh, support in some high positions in the Republican uh, Party among the Senate. Uh, do you think that's going to impact the session? I hope not. There, uh, other than in making more money for Dudley Brown by uh, direct mail, of which he's quite a genius. Uh, in terms of Hickenlooper's having an agenda, I, I think he's used up the agenda and he's with a major accomplishment that he did unilaterally, which was bringing Colorado into the Obamacare huge expansion of Medicaid. He didn't get the approval of the legislature to do that. He did it as a one-man thing. And that's one of the most consequential decisions any governor has made in the last generation by themselves. That, that decides the budget. Medicaid, even before uh, this, the Hickenlooper expansion, was like Pac-Man going around and gobbling up a larger and larger share of the budget every year. So if you say programs for affordable housing or this or that, the reason you can't have them is because of this. For good or ill, uh, he's been an incredibly influential governor. 
Well, we're not soothsayers enough to know what our uh, disgrace of the year or say something nice about the year will be, so let's go with predictions. Let's first do a global or national prediction for 2017. Patty? I think that by the time Trump is in that White House, it is going to be gilded gold. <laughs> David? Uh, the new president better be ready to deal with the crisis that's coming out of the failed state of Venezuela, the, the literally terminal stage of socialism now. Eric? Combining local and national, I think there's a chance that the Supreme Court appointment is going to come for Colorado. Out of the 20 names Trump has released, three of them are Coloradans, Tim Timkovich, Neil Gorsuch, Allison Ide. I think a couple of them could be attractive. I think Allison Ide in particular, given her age, gender, we'll see. He has uh, other choices, and he's not uh, bound to stick to that list of 20, but it could happen. Penn. I think um, the new president is going to struggle with um, getting the economy kick-started, uh, and he spent too much time talking about it. And secondly, uh, his initial crisis is going to be how he and his administration deal with Russia and all the problems they present. He's got too many people, including himself, with too many close business ties to Russia and other parts of the world um, that have been problematic for the U.S. Let's do a local prediction, something in 2017 that will happen that we'll know about locally. Patty. I think before the year is out, we are going to see a major brawl on the streets of downtown between drivers and bicyclists who cannot put up with each other for another second. I think it's going to be like West Side Story, the Sharks versus the Jets. But on another level, I have to say, I think we will see a renewed interest in environmentalism, especially in this state. I mean, we've seen fractious issues over fracking before, but now when we see what's coming out of Washington or what we think will come out of Washington with Trump's cabinet, I think people who love Colorado are going to be on the, protect on the lookout again. David, your local prediction. As the hedge fund owners of the Denver Post continue to strangle that once great newspaper like a python, more and more people are going to be getting their news from a news group I call the, the, the group of the four Colorados, the Colorado Springs Gazette, the Colorado Independent, Complete Colorado, and the Colorado Statesman. You're here. I can see that. That's a, a well-placed well prediction. Eric? That one is good. I think, I mean, the Broncos always own this town. But I think the Colorado Rockies are about to make things interesting around here over the next couple of years. And you can look at me in amazement, but the Rockies are making some good moves. They're going to be heard from. They acquired another pitcher recently. Um, they still have to work on the bullpen, but they will hit the ball a lot, and they will play good defense. And mark my words, uh, the Rockies are on the uptick, and maybe substantially so. I applaud your optimism, but it's a good example of why the predictions are made around this table are rarely taken seriously. <laughs> Pen wrap it up for us. And I applaud his optimism and hope he's right, but they haven't done anything right since they fired Don Baylor. Anyway, um, <laughs> I, I agree with Patty on the environmental piece, and, and I'm heartened by the fact that more Coloradans, including policymakers, are, are paying attention to water issues on a statewide level. But the other local prediction I'll make is that eventually the city is going to be pushed to the edge, and rather than fall over, they're going to find a solution for the 16th Street Mall and make it vibrant and safe and attractive again. That is all the time we have tonight. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed our look ahead to 2017. We're back with a regular lineup next week. We hope to see you then. Be sure to check out Colorado Inside Out on its podcast on iTunes and Google Play. And, of course, you can check out all the topics on our Facebook and Twitter feeds. For everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks for watching. Good night.